Good to have you this morning. And uh, I want to share with you. And remember remember the, the code words? I've shared some code words with you. When a pastor says he's just going to share from his heart this morning, what does that mean? <clears throat> You're in for a long sermon, right? Because pastors don't share. Pastors are not known for being short-winded. You ever known a short-winded pastor? No. They don't exist, right? Because they, they, they can't exist, right? Especially Pentecostal. You ever known a Pentecostal short-winded preacher? Right? Just get up and says what he's got to say and be done with it. What's, there's no fun in that, right? We spend an entire week preparing for a sermon, and you expect us to be done in 10 minutes? Come on. No, I'm just kidding. All right, turn to me, 1 Thessalonians. I am going to share with you this morning, and at the end I'm going to share a few things of, of uh, thoughts that I have. Uh, I wrestled, uh, as most of you did this week, right? You've, you've wrestled with God about what's going on in your life, right? You've wrestled with situations. And just so you know, uh, men and women of God that stand up and preach wrestle with God. And I know that I know I have friends who have been pastors for years, and they say, yeah, I just prepare a sermon, and, they run out. and I'm like, do you ever wrestle with God? And I got this, don't you? I'm like, oh, man. Because I'll tell you something, I wrestled with God this week. Because there's a million things I wanted to say to you. And, and I, I think that God wanted to say to you. And, and so I wrestled with God. And I told God what I think should happen, right, as, as you've done, right? We've, we've all told God, hey, this, this is what I'm going to preach, God. This is what I'm preaching. And, you know, while I'm painting ceilings, God's like, eh, that's not, that's, that's what you think. And so let, let me tell you. And so at wrestle with God. How many know that it's a good thing when you wrestle with God, God wins, right? I mean, God, here, here's what I can tell you. God's going to win no matter what. So you might as well just, you know, as my brother used to do. I don't know if you had any, anybody had older brothers. I had an older brother. And he used to be bigger than me. Um, but, right, and he quit picking on me after about ninth grade when I was taller than him. But my big brother would pin me down, right, pin the arms down, take his knuckle, and say, and he would do this. He would, no, you, you're not experienced child unless you had a big brother that did that to you, right? And would do this on my chest while I'm screaming. He was four years older than me, and he would say, say uncle. Well, I'd say uncle. Which one? I had four uncles. And no matter what uncle I said, it was always wrong because he loved me. And so, um, but I, I learned then just to say all the uncles get over with so he, he, he'd leave me alone until I got taller than him. Well, we're never going to get taller than God. So when we wrestle with God, understand it's okay. The wrestling with God is okay. It's okay to wrestle with God because God made us with emotions and feelings. It's okay to, to struggle with God. That's, that's part of what makes us human, what makes us who we are. But, but, but you have to understand that God's going to win. If you don't believe me, ask Jacob. Jacob spent the rest of his life walking with a limp. But ask him if it was worth it. Yeah, right? And so uh, I wrestled with God, and, and this is what God told me that, that needed to ha- to, 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 I needed to share on this morning. So this is God won, okay? So here's where we go. First Thessalonians chapter 1. I said all that to say this, right? Because I'm not short-winded. 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, and 3, and it says this, says, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to share from that this morning uh, about the church here, the church of Thessalonica. Thessalonica is one of those cities that's still in existence today. It's taken different forms. 
But Thessalonica is one of those, one of those uh, cities that during the Roman Empire was nobody cared about it until one of the um, emperors came along and they named it after one of, one of them named him after his wife, changed the name to Thessalonica, which was his wife's name. So how many of you guys wish your wife was named Thessalonica? That would have been pretty cool, right? Um, honey, my mom, here's my, wife, my girlfriend Thessalonica. Okay, and so Thessalonica then, as a result of that, grew to become the major city there and, and the hub city. So when Paul writes this, he's writing to a church in a big city that has a lot of issues, right? You know that small town churches have issues, but so do big city churches. They have issues too, and there are different types of issues. And so what Paul is writing to them, and he mentions to them that he always thanks God, and he always continually mentions them in their prayers, He's always talking about and always thinking about this church that he had planted at Thessalonica. And then he gets into, and, and I'm, I'm going to get right into it today, he gets into the, 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 the reason that he is remembering the prayers as a result. What is happening? What has this church done uh, that, that when he remembers them before God, this is what he thinks about? I don't know about you, but, but right, if, if you're mad at somebody, right, and you're thinking about them, what are you thinking about? You're thinking about the problem that exists between you, right? You're thinking about, oh man. Or you're, if you're praying, if you're if you if you're if you're doing, you know, there's there's all kind of different prayers, right? There's the prayers we should be praying every day, regardless, because that's what we're called to do is pray every day, seek God daily, right? But then there's other times where we're desperate prayers, right? We're praying specifically for a situation, and so we don't think about things. Or sometimes when we're in a bind, and usually it's because of something we've done that's gotten us in that bind, and we're like. Begging God to get us out. Anybody been there? Okay. And so, uh, and, and, and we remember different things. But here, Paul is thinking about the church of Thessalonica. And when he thinks about this church, these are the things that, that, that comes to his memory. These are the things that he thinks about them. And they're pretty important. And, and it's pretty cool because if you read some of his other letters, he starts a letter out. Oh, hey, I'm glad, hey, this is Paul. I'm writing to you, blah, blah, blah. And like Galatians, right? Right at the beginning, Galatians. Hey, this is Paul. I'm writing to the Church of Galatia, Cappadocia, all those. You know, I am so amazed that you have so quickly fallen away from the right. He goes right into the problem. And so, some churches, he, he doesn't always have this when he thinks about certain churches, but when it comes to this church here, you know, it, it's pretty good. And so, uh, I want to read this. Michael Martin in Numeric Commentary says this: says visible, visible Christians. Deeds and perseverance in spite of difficulty gives witness to a genuine and enduring faith. You understand that the life that we live, right? The life that we live and, and what people see how we live our lives is determined by, our, our genuine faith is determined by how we respond to situations, right? Bad things are going to happen, right? Good and bad, Right? Uh, we're, we're going to experience highs and lows, joys and, and disappointments in life, right? Anybody ever been fired from a job? Yeah, me. More than once. Yeah, more than once. Okay. More than, no, let's not go there. More than five. No, we're not going to do that. Yeah, but we've lost a job, right? We've, we've, we've had a lot. How many of you, when you were a 13-year-old, uh, the girl that you liked broke up with you because she liked your best friend? Okay, that's pretty disappointing. When you're 13, the world's ending, Right? Or girls, the, the guy you like just didn't, didn't show you the time of day, right? It's like you come home, you're crying, your mom, oh, right? Disappointment and joy, right? Disappointment and joy. We have those. But our, our life is not determined by what happens to us. Uh, the way we live our life and, and how people look at us 
is by how we respond to life. And so we see here this morning, there's three, three major points that we're going to look at this morning. And we, right there at the end of verse 3, remember, he's remembering before God or Father. So it's very important that we pray for one another. It's very important we pray for one another. And, but that's not even the, the key here. The key are these three things that happen. Okay, so let's look at these today. The first one is this. He says, remember your work produced by faith. Your work produced by faith. So here Paul insists that salvation is all of God. So understand Paul, okay? We talk about, because there, there's a, a tendency uh, that, that to get confused with how salvation comes about, right? Um, salvation, because there, there's... You know, some people talk about when James says, show me your faith by my works, right? And they say, oh, Paul. James believed in works salvation. And Paul said, no, works not. It's not a, understand this from the beginning. Paul here is not talking about, when he talks about faith here, he's not talking about salvation. We get it. Salvation comes from God and God alone. Here's what we do. We receive it. That's it, right? We're sinners saved by grace. Say, members, thank God for that, right? So understand here that, that what Paul is talking about is not not. The, the salvation that comes by faith. This is the faith that is busy. Okay, this is the faith that's busy. And, and not in a busy body type of way, right? It's, so Paul insists that salvation is from God and it's a faith that is busy. Okay, this is what, it, 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 look at the Greek, right? And I'm not a Greek scholar, right? And don't, don't play one on TV. But this is the Greek and it's this. Uh, guys that write commentaries are good at this stuff. And they said this. This is what's called here a subjective genitive, right? So that is where faith is active, which is why the NIV uh, says it's work produced by faith. What it is, what he's saying is this combines the vertical faith in God with the horizontal good works dimension of the Christian life. So in other words, what's happening here is there's a combination when he says our work is produced by faith. It's a combination of our relationship with God, vertical, right? And our relationship to others, right? Horizontal. So our work is produced by faith, okay? In other words, it's the belief that we have in God that requires action to take place in our lives, right? It's why James in, in James 2.18 says this, it says, but someone will say, you have faith. I have deeds. Show me your, then James says, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Right? And then in verse 26, he skips on, he says, so faith without deeds or faith without works is dead. So James understands, and James and Paul are saying the same thing, that it's our faith that it's because of our faith that we do good works, that we do good deeds, that we have action beyond what we do. In fact, James goes one step further and says, if you say you have faith and you have no action, your faith is dead. Wow. That's, pretty, that's putting the hammer down right there. And it's true. And we, we live in a society where, where the majority of churches, and I, this is the case, the majority of churches have a, an actionless faith. Because the majority of people have an actionless faith. Because we come to church on Sunday, and then Monday through Saturday, we live the way we live, and come back to church on Sunday and sing Amazing Grace, How Sweet Sound, we're thankful for God's grace and mercy, and Monday through Saturday, we don't live that way. We live whichever way we want to live, making money and doing all these other things that, that for us, and, and that can't be. In fact, here's, a, here's a, a, a poem, or not a poem, but a little writing that Tim Shinton shares, 
in the opening up, he says this, says, there once was a Scotsman who rode people across a river. On one oar, he carved the word faith, and on the other oar, he carved the word works. One day as he was rowing, one of the passengers noticed the carvings and asked him about them. The Scotsman did not reply, but he pulled up the, the oar marked works and started to row with only one oar. The boat went around in circles. He then pulled in the oar marked faith, put the other one back in the water, and the boat went around in circles, but this time in the other direction. He then rowed with both oars back to, back to reach the bank safely. Before the passengers got off the boat, he said, a Christian must row his life using both oars, faith and works. And that's the truth. We, we cannot say that we have faith if the life that we're living is not showing what that faith is. It, it's in fact, it's impossible. It's impossible to live a life of faith without works, without doing things that God's called us to do. Second thing, it says your work produced by faith, and then the second one is your labor prompted by love. And notice the, the words work and labor. Okay, Now, ladies, we're not talking about that kind of labor. Okay? And, and, and as a father's experienced that four times, thank God, God didn't have men give birth because I would have never had a child when I saw the pain my wife was in. And I remember the first baby we had gone up to, uh, my, room, my roommate college was getting married and she was eight months pregnant and we'd gone. And I said, oh, you're good. Another month, go to the wedding. So we drive to Youngstown, Ohio from Cincinnati, five and a half hour drive. And on the day after the wedding, the next morning we get up and we're sitting there and my wife looks at me and says, my water broke. I'm like, no, it didn't because we are not anywhere near the hospital. And so we drive from Youngstown to Cincinnati, a lot of traffic, a lot of road closures, right, seven hours. And my wife laid in the back seat and I drove with one arm here and one hand here. And I, my hands have never felt so much pain as she squeezed them. I'm in pain. I'm like, and I, you don't dare say so am I, because the pain I'm suffering is nothing in light of the pain that she's suffering. And so thank God, women, God bless you. That's all I can say. So it's not that kind of labor, all right? So just say it that way. But it says your labor, work and labor here are synonyms. They're synonymous with one another, okay? But the difference is, Labor, the, the Greek word that's used here, labor, is slightly stronger meaning, and it designating more hard work, right? Hard work. Uh, and it says, in other words, their love, it says, your love prompted by love. Your love has prompted strenuous activity on their part for the benefit of those around, right? We know that, we know that every generation, as, as, as we get older, we always complain about the younger generation. They don't know hard work, Right? Every generation does that. I remember when I was a kid, and I, you know, I worked because my mom said, you know, when I got, I played, I played sports in high school, and, and you know, all that stuff, so was a show choir, did all that stuff, and my mom still said, oh, you're going to put gas in the car, right? And I'm like, wow, I don't have time to work. You know, I play basketball, I run track, cross country, I'm in the show choir, we dance and sing. Oh, I, well, I don't have money. She goes, well, you don't get the car then, because that's just the way it is in my house. 
Okay, so, you know, I'd run around the neighborhood begging people to let me mow their grass for $10 or whatever because that's what it, hard work, strenuous work, right? So every generation, now as I've gotten older, oh, this generation doesn't know you know, hard work, right? And so if you younger and the crowd, as you get older, you're going to start saying the same thing. Oh, this younger generation, they don't work as hard as we, right? Everybody says that every generation passes that down. And, and I think it, to some extent it's true. It's just that things change. The type, the way we work, the way we do things. They, I know that my children all are hard workers. They just, they're not digging ditches like I did, right? They're not, they're not out, you know, doing things I did working hard, but it's in a different way. And so here it says that they're hard work, and we, we're always told, you know, work hard, make something yourself. You work hard, you can blah, blah, blah. But the difference here is this is not talking about hard work that benefits you. Their work, their labor is prompted by love. Their hard work, their strenuous activity was for the benefit of all those around them. See, that's different. See, the world will tell us to work hard for ourselves, and God says for us to work hard for others. And that's what Paul remembered about the church of Thessalonica. Their strenuous activity that they were doing was for the benefit of those around them. See, that's opposite the world. Contrary. Everything about the, the gospel is contrary. Paul writes this to the church of Galatians, Galatians 6, 9, and 10. He says, listen, talking about labor, he says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time you will, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. So it's the same concept. Let us work hard for other people. Let us continue to do good. We're going to reap because we're going to benefit those around us. And so labor is prompted by love. Peter has the same concept. In 1 Peter, he says, he says, 122, for us to love one another deeply, right? And the only way we can love one another deeply is through our actions, through our labor, through strenuous work for one another. It, it's, it, you know, when you get to know people, here's, here's, here's some basic relationship stuff, right? You get to know people. And what happens is, as you get to know people, the more things you have in common, the more likely you are to become friends. And the less you have in common, the less likely you are to become friends. And then sometimes there's people that you're just stuck with. Now, some of the husband's wife looked at each other. Don't do that. No, no, no. You're, you're not stuck. You're, you love each other. You, you still do. Uh, you're, you're stuck with, like at work, you're stuck with some people that you're just like, oh, man. Is it 5 o'clock yet? You know, out of here, right? So, and that's just, that's just relationship building. You know, right? But here's, here's the difference. What the labor prompted by love, we are required as believers to love each other deeply. In other words, we are required, even those people that we don't necessarily get along with, sometimes we're like this, right? We are still required to love. That in, includes in a church. I, I always joke and say, within a church, you don't have to like everybody, but you have to love everybody. Right? You're not going to get along with everybody. And as the church grows and gets bigger and bigger and bigger, right? what happens is you can't even get, get, possibly know each other. Everybody know each other. You still have to love deeply, even the, even the difficult people. In fact, sometimes the difficult people are the ones that need that deep love the most. Right? And that's not just believers, that's unbelievers. That person at work that's annoying everybody because they just won't stop talking like the preacher on Sunday morning. Like, come on! You ever take a breath, right? How many are doing Zoom meetings now all the time, right? I'm doing a Zoom call um, Thursday with Pastor Joe uh, talking about my book and about discipleship. 
And, and so, nervous wreck, and I'm, I told my wife, I said, I'm a nervous wreck. I said, because I don't want to think I'm just a chatty Kathy, you know, just, blah, 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 blah. right? Does this guy ever shut up talking about discipleship? No, I won't, but that's a whole other thing. But we, we have to love people deeply. See, their labor, their, the strenuous activity was because of love. And here the term uh, we, that we have here in this term is, is um, agape. Now, we love the word agape, especially in churches. It's one of the, the seven Greek, Greek words for love, and it's unconditional, unfailing love. It's just you love because. And as believers, that's what we are not supposed to do. That is what we are required to do. So I say, nana, 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 you have to love me unconditionally. Some of you are thinking about that. Like my wife's over there going, come on. Come on, God. Galatians 5, 6, Paul says this. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So a Christian's heart must be filled with a self-denying and sacrificial love for God, vertical, and others, horizontal. We see the, Thessal- the church of Thessalonia, uh, uh, Thessalonica were demonstrating their love for God and their neighbors by practical acts of, of service. So when Paul's thinking about this church, he's thinking about their love, is, their, their, their labor is prompted by love. The, the work, their sacrificial work they're doing is because they truly love. They love deeply, not just each other, not just God, but those around them. And they're doing sacrificial work for them. John, John writes this in 1 John 3.18. And remember, he's the one that was called the disciple whom Jesus loved. This is kind of odd. He called himself that, but there's a reason why. None of the other disciples disputed it, right? No one disputed that. There was a reason for it. Remember, he was a son of thunder, which means he's the one that said, hey, when you enter your kingdom, let me sit on the right and my brother on the left. He went from that to the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's a huge change, right? He writes this. He says, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with action and in truth. Let us not love each other. Let us not say we love each other. Let us show we love each other. Now, now, if we go back to relationships, I pursued my wife, right? When the day I met her in the, lo- in the weight room at Southeastern University, which was Southeastern Bible College in, when I met her in the weight room, I was lifting because I played basketball, and she just came in with a bunch of her friends uh, looking for guys, I think, mostly, and I was there. And the first time I laid eyes on her, I went back to my room. I have witnesses to this day. And I said, I just met the woman I'm going to marry. She just doesn't know it yet. So I pursued her, and it took a year and a half, many pursuits and many different things. And then we started dating, and eight weeks later we got married, and we've been married 35 years, almost 35 years, right? But in the, in the pursuit, all those things happened to show love, right? Flowers, all those things. So now after 34-some years, I'm still pursuing her, Right? Because now I can get up every morning and say, I love you, I love you. Okay, let's go on our day. But that's not, how does she know that, that I love her? Unless I'm still displaying actions. I'm still doing deeds and works and things like that to show her. Because anybody can say, yeah, I love you, right? We have the phone say, I love you. My kids say all the time, hey, dad, I love you. Right? And that's great. And we need to be reminded and we need to be told that. But are we showing that with our actions and with our words? And the church of Thessalonica, they were doing that. And the third thing is, is that you're, you're, 
your faith produced by your, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love. And then the last one is your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> now the word here is another Greek word, right? Hypomone, which is means endurance, but it's an active endurance. Okay? It is moving forward in spite of resistance. We we know people in our, in our lives that that every time something any kind of resistance gets in their way, they just kind of they give up. And, and some of them do it just because, some of them because there's, there's walls, there's addictions, there's things in their lives that keep them from, from enduring, from overcoming, right? We see that. But this kind of endurance that Paul is talking about is not one that just kind of, well, we're just going to run the race to where we're going to. It is an active, it's a strenuous. It, 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 when there's resistance in the way, it just keeps moving forward. It's, it's not stopped. It, they continue on and continue on. It's a... Uh, one one commentator says it's an heroic constancy, no matter what the obstacles. That's pretty good. It's heroic. Their endurance, they continue on. Now, at this time that this was written, okay, the the persecution of the churches by Rome, it was getting right around that time, okay. Up until this point, most of the churches and the persecution had come from the Jews and the Jewish leaders. Remember the one who wrote this book was the one who was, got papers to go from town to town, imprisoning, burning down, and, and sometimes even leading to death of Christians. And then he had an experience on the road to Damascus, and he changed. So much so that they ran him out of town after town after town after town and beat him and whipped him and all this good stuff. That wasn't the Romans, that was the Jews. They were trying to, to curb what was going on. So what was happening during when this was written was the persecution among uh, uh, believers among Jews was taking place, but the Roman persecution that was was starting. It was right around that time. Okay, so there was a lot. Of, and remember, Thessalonica was a big city. It had it be grown in stature in the area. Okay, it was one of the biggies. So so that's where it begins, right? They begin there because there's more people. It's easier to just get a bunch of Christians together and imprison them or kill them or burn them down, uh, all that. And so what happens is. Um, Paul is writing to them and he says that their endurance, they're going through this, this suffering that's happening, that's taking place, this, this, the, these Jewish people that don't want the Christianity faith to be grown, that Paul, would, when he was Saul, was one of the first ones that went out, but there were others going out and they were going after the churches and they were going after them, right? Which is, if you're a Jewish person, you kind of go, that's just how God wants it. Oh, No. You know, even if that's not what God wants. God doesn't want us as Christians going after non-Christians to, to kill them or put them in prison for not believing, right? That's not the way, that's not the way we do it. So what was happening was there, there were things that were happening outside forces that were beginning to come on the church. And when Paul thought about this church, he's like, man, these guys are doing it. They're, the, 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 the enemy's coming against them and they're not stopping. They're continuing to go. They're, they're not allowing the obstacles to, to keep them from, from going to where God wants them to go. In fact, the Thessalonians had a well-grounded hope of eternal life and the glory that accompanies it. Therefore, they could endure hardship. This church had understood that when these things come, well, 
when we're grounded in our faith, you, you see it all the time. When you're well grounded in your faith, you might still have some ups and downs in lives, but you don't have the ups and the downs because you're well grounded. You understand, you know, bad things still happen to, to us. You know, situations still happen to us. It's like, oh, can take your breath away. But, then you, but, but be, when you're well grounded, you say, but I know who, who my hope's in. I, I know that this is a temporary place. This is not where I belong. I'm, I'm, I'm an alien and stranger here. And so when you're well grounded, then what happens is you're able to get through those. Okay? And so what happens is, Paul, remember, this church here is well grounded in the faith. They're well grounded in, in those things of Christ. Paul here stresses, he says, your, endur- your endurance is inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul writes that hope as inspiring and producing, uh, or Paul stresses here, that hope is inspiring and producing steadfast endurance in the midst of the troubles and trials of life. The reason they were able to triumph over terrible adversity was because their hope was in Jesus. Right? <clears throat> Why is the church shrinking <clears throat> in North America? The church is shrinking. It's shrinking. In fact, some recent uh, articles that I, I've read and the studies that they're doing post-COVID, people coming back to church and not coming back to church, what's happening? Okay, about 8% of churches in North America are showing signs of growth. 8%. 8. That's 0, 8. That's 8. Of those 8%, now get this, of those 8%, 80% of the 8% is growing because people have left one church and gone to another one. In other words, it's not real growth. It's just people moving on to the next thing because maybe the preacher said something that, you know, political or maybe the preacher said, you know, hey, you know, it's important that you're in church and you didn't like that, so you're going to find a church where they don't care whether you're coming on along, Right? Or maybe a preacher preached on money, all right? And they're like, I oh, don't talk about money to me. Even though Jesus talked more about money than heaven and hell combined, but that's okay, right? And so, well, let's not follow Jesus. Uh, we can have our, our own thing. Um, so uh, what happens is, uh, then of the other 20% of the churches that, that, are, that are growing, only about 2% are actually winning converts. That's it. 2% of the 8%. We have an issue. And a lot of the problems that we have is because we're not grounded in the Word of God. We have just, and, and, I, and I will tell you this, a lot of it's the, the people who stand up here's fault for not requiring that of the congregations because it's more important that we have the numbers than the disciples. It's more important that we take in the offerings than we are in the community that we build big buildings to ourselves, right, in our honor. <laughs> we name schools after ourselves. I don't think I could ever do that. Okay, so, but in this situation here, the church of Thessalonica was able to overcome, able to triumph because their hope is in Jesus. Their hope is in Jesus. Grant Osborne writes this. He says, hope in this world is ephemeral and uncertain with no anchor in reality. Man, are we not seeing that right now? Some of the stuff that's going on, there is no anchor in reality, right? Biology doesn't mean anything anymore. Science is like, Woo, who cares, right? We're going to believe what we want to believe. We're going to be, because that's who we, it's all about me. It's all about me, right? There's no anchor to anything in this world. 
And we're, it's really being exposed right now. And, and you might say, well, the enemy's winning. No, I think God is exposing to open the eyes of the believers to what we need to get back to doing. Right? So we, and someone said to me when, when they passed the, the thing with gay marriage, oh, that's the horrible thing. I said, nope. This is just God's opening our eyes to, the, to what the, the sickness in the world, the sin in the world, that, 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 they, that they don't have hope. And we have hope. We have hope. But he says this, he goes on and says, but hope for the believer is certain and firm. And that's good news today. The hope we have in Jesus is certain and firm. In other words, we know it's a confident expectation. We know, right? We know. He says, hope for the believer is certain and firm, anchored in the reality of the risen Lord and his lordship over this world. So we have an anchor. And that hope in Jesus is that anchor. I love, I love this. Someone, someone said this. I don't, I don't know who said it, but I wrote it down anyways, and I'll give somebody credit whenever I find it. It says this, hope always looks forward. You, you can't look in the past and, and have hope, Right? You say, well, let's look at the past of the country of America. Man, there's a lot of blots, a lot of stains in our country, a lot of great things. Oh, it's a great place to live. But man, we got a lot. Mm. So if we look to the past, which is what's happening in our culture right now, we're looking to the past, there's no hope. The only hope we ever have is to the future. Hope to the future. So this morning, and I'm going to end it this way, what does this have to do with us, and more specifically with you as a church, in light of everything that's going on. Well, I think that if God was speaking to you as a church this morning, he would say this. When I see you, I see your work produced by faith. I see your labor prompted by love, your strenuous, your strenuous activities for the benefit of those around you. You've not done anything for you. The fact that you're all here this morning. I think he would say your endurance inspired by hope. What I've seen here since January is your hope. And your hope's not in each other. It's in Jesus. And that will sustain you. That will move you forward. Philippians 1.6 says this. That he who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it about to completion. It may not be the completion that we hope for. It may not be the, the ending to the book that we would have written. But it's going to work out because the things that you guys have done here as a congregation to reach it to 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 inspire one another and to reach your community God is now going to send you out to help other churches do the same thing because there is a dearth of churches that are stuck they're stuck in themselves they're stuck in their buildings and they're stuck not understanding what needs to be done. And you guys know. 
And God is sending you. He's sending you out into your community, sending you out into the world to show that your work and your labor and your endurance is because of what God has done and because of what God is going to continue to do and continue to move through you and work through you. And I want to pray and dismiss this morning. We don't, we don't need to, to have music or anything. We'll just, I just we'll pray and dismiss and, and then um, just fellowship. Lord, I, I thank you. I've been honored uh, for the past four months to be here to share, to get to know a wonderful group of people who love you. They've inspired me to, to move beyond what I think I could do. And I pray, Lord God, that you would help them to realize that, that this is not the ending, but it's just a new beginning. It's, it's, it's going on to the next thing. It's the new season. You, your writer of Isaiah said, see, I am doing a new thing. And Lord, I'm glad to be part of that. Even though it hurts and it's painful, I'm glad to be part of that. So show us that new thing, God, and work through us in that new thing so that we can be a part of what you're doing. Thank you for what you've done all these years in us and through us toward each other and toward the community. You're a good God, and we love you. In spite of all the things that have happened, we continue to serve you, worship you, and honor you, and love you because we know that you have our best interest in your hands. Now, Lord, remind us that what we've done today is not service, but our service begins when we leave. Send us out into the world, as Isaiah said, who will go for us and whom shall we send? And Isaiah responded, hear my Lord, send me. So Lord, send us to the world. And we love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.